Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon. On this episode, and due to the coming Memorial Day, we are sharing some of the great wisdom from two of the veterans that we've interviewed on the podcast. Cap and I have taken many great lessons from these conversations that not only apply to leadership in the SEALs, but also to sports and to business. Up first is Mike Hayes. Mike is currently the Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of VMware and the author of the best-selling book, Never Enough. Mike spent 20 years in the U.S. Navy SEALs, where his last role was commanding officer of SEAL Team 2. Mike served in the Bosnia, Kosovo, Iraq, and Afghanistan conflicts, including 10 months as the commander of a 2,000-person special operations task force in southeastern Afghanistan. In our conversation with Mike, he shared some stories from work with the Navy SEALs, the lessons he learned, and the importance of leaning into hard things, making the decision to take the harder path versus the easy decision, but a decision that may result in failure. Mike also discusses a shared vision for the team, the importance of everyone on the team being focused on the same outcome. Take a listen to Mike Hayes. Hey, Mike, let's jump into your new book, Never Enough, in which you um, motivate readers to reach their full potential. And in the book, something really hit me that you said. It said, high-performing people inevitably live in two places at once. So we do our absolute best, and we also realize that our best is a moving target. That really resonated with me. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, John, uh, it, it's it, let me even start with the title of the book, Never Enough. You know, my my mom actually said, oh, that could be uh, interpreted as a real downer, you know, and it, it's depressing. I'm, I'm never enough. Who's going to buy that book? Well, uh, I, I said, you know, mom, I kind of agree with you, but uh, but on the other hand, it's not a backward looking statement. It's a forward looking statement. You know, in, in life, uh, there's always more impact that we can have. There's more help we can give to others. There's more that we can be as individuals. And, you know, I feel really passionate about sharing a lot of the unique situations and learnings that I've had in my life. I've been incredibly blessed with a lot of success and, and then also uh, incredibly blessed with a lot of uh, hard situations and through and, and some failure and, and through all of it, I've learned. And I think what life is about is, is giving back. It's the feedback loops back to, uh, that, that we get in, in, in order to become better. And so really the moving target quote that you had there, John, is, is really just one to emphasize that really uh, the day that we stop trying to get better in whatever ways we define better, it, that, that's when we've really, it's time to hang up our skates. And so I, I think it has nothing to do with seniority or age or where we are in our careers. You know, you can be 
90 something years old and still be like, you know, trying to get better at, at different things. And I think that's that, that hunger. I've, I've always said, you know, you're, you're only excellent if you know that you're never excellent enough. And that's kind of where the, the title came from. Yeah. But, you know, on going back to the high performing people that live in two places at once, um, I found that, you know, you, you plan to do your best job. You try to do your best job. And sometimes even when you're done and people say you did a great job, you still try to, sometimes you don't try to, but sometimes you're still beating yourself up. Um, and maybe that's really what you're talking about because you can learn from those situations and try to continue to get better. 100%. And so the two, the two places at once, the first is foremost is be proud of who you are and what you've done and, and leaned into hard problems and, and be satisfied. So that's the most important message. But then I think what differentiates truly uh, high-performing individuals and organizations is that you then take that uh, the, the situation and, and look at what you could have done differently. What could you have done better? You know, in the SEALs, when we came off of operations that could have been the front page of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, we didn't talk about what well, went well. We spent all of our time talking about what didn't go well enough. You know, inertia is going to basically keep the uh, the good going in the right direction. It's not unlike uh, think you, you guys have closed bajillions of deals worth bajillions of dollars. You know, you, what's really interesting is sure you can diagnose the wins and say what do we need to keep repeating, but by and large you already have the skills that you need in order to keep repeating closing deals. What you want to do is think, well, what did I look at the deals that you lost and diagnose the loss and say. What did I learn? And that feedback and that incorporation in a very open way saying and, and having no ego and saying, I could have done something better. What was it? That to me is the biggest ingredient. And that's, I think, that the main point you're getting at, John. Yeah. Yeah. You also describe a situation in the book when you and your team were in frigid cold weather in the mountains of Kosovo. And you told, claimed the lesson that you learned from this. This sucks. Let's stay here lesson, which was a decision between struggling more and potential success. So can you walk the listeners maybe through that lesson and whether or not you've seen any of that in business situations also? Absolutely. Really quick version of the story is late 90s. We were in the SEALs working in very small units, four, six, eight people at a time to go out and take pictures uh, in the middle of the night of of uh, of what was happening out in between in in Kosovo, and um, and there were co- was, there were complicated dynamics. It's beyond the scope of this conversation to describe those. What I'll simply say is that my my team's job was to not be seen, and so we there's uh, something that we call a natural line of drift. If you're out in the woods, you're naturally going to walk along the valley or railroad tracks. If you see railroad tracks, humans will, by, by definition, take the path of least resistance. And, um, and so, you know, in, in the SEALs, when it was time to lay up for three days, you know, we were, uh, you know, in this particular operation, no exaggeration, you know, four feet of snow, it was snowshoes. It was, you know, very miserable below zero conditions. And, and uh, you know, we came to this spot where it was about a 50 degree incline or we had a natural line of drift where we could we could uh you know set up our our observation locations 
And, you know, what was really clear to me was that we needed to move up the hill. And it's I'm not the only seal to think of this. This is like we always figure out how do we do the thing that's going to make us least likely to be seen or compromised, et cetera. And so, you know, the the thing I said that night was, hey, guys, we got to move up the hill about 30 meters or so and sleep on the 50, 60 degree incline and, and set up camp in the in the much more miserable conditions. And I said, hey, look, this sucks. Let's stay here. Cap, you want to add anything uh, to that? Or yeah. What? Well, what what I think is amazing about you talking about, it seems to be a common theme of, uh, among SEALs. We've had a, a, a couple on so far, and this leaning into harder things um, and taking the path and, but being okay with failing because if you're still learning. So a couple of things. Number one, is that just a tenet of like the background that you come from, from the SEALs? That's the first question I have. The second thing is, Mike, how do you lead people to those things? So it's one thing to make an individual decision that says, okay, um, let's go 30 meters higher and it's going to free, it's going to suck even more up there. It's one thing to be able to do that for yourself. How do you do it with others and to help others go to a higher level or leaning into that suck? Sorry, that was a no, long, no, great, great, uh, great lead in, John. Let me take them in reverse order because the second thing is the quick, easy answer it's simply shared values. When you have shared values and shared operating principles and shared, uh, you know, shared desired outcomes, then uh, the 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 other part gets very easy. You see, it, to me, in a team, the first thing that starts to break down a team is the perception that credit or blame will be disproportionately shared. You mm. see, not even not I mean the perception of it. That's where the cracks begin. Long before the credit or the blame needs to be handed out. If the team perceives that it will be asymmetric, you've already lost as a team. You're not a team. And so you see in the SEALs that we very, very deeply win, know that we win or lose together and there is one uh, outcome for the team. And that's something that I've really tried to carry over in the business world. It's a little bit harder when you know, you're, you're in, a, in, in these enterprises in, in driving that. But to the, the point you raised, uh, John, about the uh, the, the, what's endemic to the seals in, 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 at large. Look, I'd say the answer to your question is yes, that is a baseline trait for seals. It's what we need coming out of seal training. My class started with 120 guys and 19 graduated. Now all 120 could have looked like they were beyond the cover of a magazine, all jacked up and grr and, you know, and, oh, that guy must be able to carry a telephone pole or something. But like 101 of those people that look like that went away. You know, and so what do the 19 have in common? The 19 have in common a desire and a recognition that, that in my words, the more I hurt, the less you hurt as my teammate. And so the more I give to the team, then, uh, then the stronger the team is. And what's magical is that everybody on the team has the exact same mindset. You see, in SEAL training, Mac, we, we stretch people beyond their limits, and then we make them comfortable again. And then we stretch them beyond their limits again. And we make them comfortable again. And the lesson sounds like very obviously, oh, just keep stretching your limits and you, you, you get, you, your limits get broader and broader. Totally right. But it also misses the larger point. Yeah. You, you talk, you talk about the order, 
you know, on the seal, it's the team first, then the teammate, and then yourself. Totally. Team, teammate, self. And you see, in the way you can focus on the team first and your teammate and then yourself is because you get stretched so many times and you get made so uncomfortable that you get used to being uncomfortable. And so when you're highly uncomfortable, you can still be logical and talk to uh, and and communicate well and be focused on the mission at hand. And that's what really you know, John drives the team teammate self saying. Well, one of the things that, you know, I think people have this misconception that, you know, the superhuman things that are done in these circumstances and also in business too, you know, doing hard things is, is more about the physical nature of doing hard things. And you talk about in your book that it's, you know, it is mostly the obstacles are mostly mental obstacles. So first of all, can you talk a little bit about that? And then also for leaders listening, can you help us understand how to help people to discover that for themselves? Absolutely. The, I say unequivocally, the human has no idea what we're capable of. Like until you're really, really stretched and beyond your limits, you will, you will, I guarantee in hard situations, you'll rise to the occasion because that's what the human indomitable spirit is about, you know? And, and so it's a, just a, uh, such a, um, such a truism that, that life is me mental, not physical. Now we prepare the physical so that we can not need to worry about that in the moment that we can know that we can, you know, do the, whether it's lifting something or running a certain speed or carrying a certain amount of weight, that's just a, that's just a necessity. It's necessary, but insufficient. And so the the sufficiency really starts with understanding the uh, the the clarity of vision and purpose and the mental aspect of of staying of uh, bringing people together and achieving the common goals. You use the word leader. I, I do I'd say, I love the expression. I, I think I made it up, which means I definitely didn't. But uh, you know, le leaders, need to be able to lead and follow, but the art form really is knowing when to do which. Because most of the time, good leaders move to the back and let other people step up because that's where they grow. That's where they get to do the hard things. That's where they get to either, you know, try something hard and either succeed or fail. But it's only failure if you fail and don't learn. If you've caused somebody to step up and they fail and learn, you've just made your organization better for the next time. Yeah, Mike, I you discuss dynamic subordination. I think that's what you, you called it in your book, where on an effective team, everyone must seamlessly move forward and back, depending upon the demands of the situation and the skills of the individual teammates. So anyone can be the leader at any time. Absolutely. And let's put it in deal terms, right? Like, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been kind of the the senior person in the room, but most of the time I have way less knowledge about the specifics of the deal than a couple of experts in the room with me. And so, it, you know, it, whether it's a specific technology or a specific business function or a desired outcome, why do I want myself to be the one talking? I want the person who's got the best knowledge to be the one talking. And so my job is to, to help people, uh, help the right person be talking at the right time, not to be talking myself. I like to say leaders gain authority by giving it away. 
And the other thing, the the another one is is leaders don't need to make the best decision. Leaders need to make sure the best decision gets made. Right. Right. I like both of those. It might in um dynamic subordination. I understand completely when you have you look around the room and there is everybody's elite. And everybody is trained in a very, very elite way. Um, and so the way that ecosystem works is um, there's no single point of failure, uh, which is awesome. Um, in business, in your, let me ask it a different way. So you come from that background where you're surrounded by that. And it's not that you're not surrounded by elite people in the business world, but there's a difference in the way that people have been trained there. They don't send seals out that are like, you know, don't have the training or what have you. So now we're in the business world. How does that dynamic subordination really come true? How do you encourage it as a leader for your teams? And how do you make sure you're not setting people up to fail? Great, great topic. I'm so glad you raised this because it's really important so that you people, listeners understand the full breadth of the conversation. You see, the, the the thing that's most important is understanding when do you have an absolute no-fail mission and when do you as an organization have a mission where it's okay to learn, you know? The, those are sometimes different things. You know, what I say at VMware with 40,000 employees, the thing that I've told our employee base is that, um, you know, there's no single decision anybody will make is if they're on the right side of ethics and morals and the law and company policy that will crash the company. And so I encourage people to lean forward and make decisions and 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 just drive in a good dire- drive in a direction that they think the company needs to drive in because the inverse is paralysis. The inverse is in these large organizations people looking left and right and saying, "Well, gosh, I'm not sure whose decision it is." Well, right. just make it your own. You know, and 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 find the right balance between coordination and collaboration across key people that you need to without over collaborating. And it's a little bit of an art form there, more art than science, but you can collaborate yourself to death or you can just, you know, give a, a whipsaw quick answer from the hip and also not collaborate enough. And so every situation, obviously unique, but the point is that the more that you can put people, other others on the field and get them moving forward and making those decisions, that's what's going to ultimately enrich your organization over the long run. And so I always take the long view over the short view. Next is Brent Gleason. Brent is a former Navy SEAL commander veteran and author of the best-selling book, Embrace the Suck, the Navy SEAL way to an extraordinary life. Brent now makes his living through consulting and advising businesses, taking the many concepts he learned during his time with the SEALs and helping business leaders apply them to their teams. We talked to Brent about key leadership traits and the important difference between those with the right mindset to succeed versus the mindset of those who don't. Here's Brent Gleason. So you go into the Navy SEAL program and you are surrounded by some of the most elite performers on the planet. Um, And I want to talk to you about kind of two different scenarios. The first scenario is you're looking around and you're seeing just some of this char- some of these characteristics of being elite. And I'd like you to describe those for us. So um, talk about 
what you noticed about individuals and some of the common characteristics of why you guys were, why you were there and, and, and sure. what you were learning about yourself. But then also let's follow up with, you know, there are also elite performers that went, I mean, you're not going to that if you're not elite in the first place, but there's also people that rang the bell and I'd, I'd like for you to maybe share with us where there's some common characteristics, not judgmental of anybody that rings the bell, but were there just some common characteristics of people that didn't make it? So would you talk about what you noticed about the ones who excelled and what you noticed about the ones who didn't make it? Yeah, SEAL training is a fascinating social experiment. Uh, one of the interesting things uh, when you reflect back on it, and, and any any team guy would say the same thing, when you, when you first get to BUDS, which is the first six months of our long training pipeline, which stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL, uh, typically, that's what you're going to see on TV or in the movies depicted yes. um, or Discovery Channel documentaries. Um, when you first get there, you, you know, let's say for easy math, you, you start with around 200 students in, in each class. We run six classes a year. So every two months, a new class uh, begins and cycles through. But obviously, from the onset, it's very much an individual exercise. Each individual has worked very hard to get just into the program. And so you're sizing each other up. And the interesting thing is of the people you initially think, well, that guy, you know, he looks like he was going to make it. He's going to make it. Not that guy, not that guy. You would be wrong every single time. The people you're standing with at graduation are not the people that you probably initially thought uh, just by, again, judging a book by its cover uh, would be the ones who would make it. Uh, You've got you know, it doesn't matter about your background culturally, physically, education wise. Uh, people might not think that the NSW community has a lot of diversity, but it's we have a, a large amount of diversity, a diversity of thought, experience, education, uh, people from all walks of life coming into this community, which obviously is to our benefit. And that's what we're looking for. Um, but yeah, th- there were definitely a few individuals, David Goggins being one of them. I was like, OK, <laughs> I don't think I've seen this guy smile once. Since we got here, uh, and then we tell me, there. dude, is he is he <laughs> as much of a nutter as he appears as he appears to be in his writings? Oh, way more, Holy way more. <laughs> now he's he and, and as many of the you know the listeners and viewers know uh, from reading his book, phenomenal. It's crushed. It can't hurt me. Great story, yeah. and and that's that's a lot of it, it. Fueled a lot of my research on resilience too. Not to get off on too much of a tangent, but it's fascinating because it does apply to our conversation around the, you know, the SEAL training pipeline, resilience doesn't necessarily come from people having a, you know, an arduous childhood or coming from a lot of um, adversity necessarily. Sometimes it's chosen. Sometimes it's, it's uh, intentional in the fact that people who choose to push the boundaries of their comfort zone and everything they choose to commit to, um, that builds resilience as well. So, you know, I, I was in boat crew two. David talks a lot about boat crew two. We were, we were in the same boat crew together. We went to SEAL team five together. So he was maybe just one of like two or three individuals I can think of that I was saying, yeah, those guys are going to make it. But otherwise you'd be, you'd be wrong about that. But what you see very quickly uh, in the training process is those who are truly committed. Uh, and, and we'll talk a bit, I'm, I'm assuming in this conversation about some of those attributes and the mindset. Uh, not the physicality so much, but the mindset of individuals and students who are successful in our program and those who are not. Uh, there's there's some very interesting, um, you know, behavioral 
physical and emotional, uh, you know, cognitively uh, elements that that play a big role in success there. So, yeah. Hey, Brent. So, you know, humans naturally, you know, seek pleasure and avoid pain. And in your book, you talk about channeling the pain pathways in order to be able to survive something like bud. So can you talk a little bit about channeling the pain pathway? Is that the way in which you can survive a buds? It, it, it very much is about a certain level of healthy compartmentalization. Um, and there's, there's one, and we've done a lot of research, obviously, as you can imagine, a two decades of war trying to identify the mental, emotional, cognitive, and physical attributes of students that are more likely to successfully navigate our training pipeline. Because with such a high attrition rate, uh, we have what you might consider talent acquisition challenges. <laughs> so we're trying to grow the ranks of the Naval Special Warfare community, yet we're still graduating 10 to 15% per class. Obviously, we've delved into a lot of research trying to identify how do we acquire better talent and put better talent in the top of that funnel, if you will. And uh, of all the data we've collected, it, it really comes down to a few things. One is a, a deep emotional connection to the mission and purpose of the organization. Um, obviously, what you get now, you know, have it, you know, being at the tip of the spear of of these conflicts we've been involved in over the past, you know, two decades. Um, and, and I do informally mentor students through the program now, so I get to kind of uh, stay connected in that regard to see what is the mindset of these students now. What are they looking for? What are they trying to get out of this? What do they want to contribute to our community and to the cause? But it comes down to that emotional connection. But at the same time, and Rich Devaney, a longtime SEAL officer who wrote a phenomenal book called uh, Attributes, and he was a, a, an officer at our tier one special operations uh, unit in MSW. And it's not just about that emotional connectivity to the cause. It's about in the moment, literally embracing the pain and the adversity that you're in right there because it's part of that journey and, and understanding that that's critical for your uh, mental, emotional, and physical development. So not just pushing it aside and saying, no, I, I'm doing this for the cause, saying, no, no, this is part of the cause. I'm doing this right now. I'm feeling this pain, but so is he, so is he. We're feeling it together. And uh, embracing the moments that you're in is really, really important for that, uh, for that transformation. Yeah. In the book, you talk about, you know, the first time embracing the suck came into your mind. You talked about don't fight it, embrace the pain, beg for more. <laughs> and then the most important thing to me, change the narrative in your mind. If you yeah. can't do that, you're really in trouble, right? Yeah. And it, it, for, for on the topic of, of, of training, really looking at it, it as a blessing and the opportunity you have just to be there. Uh, that's something I think that also drives students successfully through the program is looking at it as like, I'm, I'm blessed just to have this opportunity. And whether I make it or not, I'm blessed to be here in the first place and to be yeah. able to have the opportunity to serve in that capacity. Well, I think a commander told you early on to write down these three words, persistence, purpose, and passion. And did those, those three words really stick with you? What did they mean to you? Uh, obviously, persistence was one thing I learned just in the, the process of starting to train for this, understanding the risks that I was undertaking uh, by leaving that job and, and joining the military. 
uh, and, and really knowing that uh, there was going to be many, many seen and unforeseen obstacles ahead. Um, passion goes back to what I was talking about before, a passion for the cause. If you think about any lofty goal we've ever pursued in life, whether it's sports or work or charitable organizations or in relationships or as a parent, spouse, what have you, um, no lofty goal is ever achieved without some stress some pain, some adversity. Otherwise, it's totally. probably not a lofty goal. And so it really comes back to that, that, that passion for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and that passion gives you that sort of all in all the time mentality uh, and the energy to navigate those obstacles successfully and to move more quickly through um, the pain and suffering than others who don't maybe have that emotional connectivity to what they're trying to accomplish. So we're all human. So we obviously all go through those, uh, you know, emotional ups and downs. But what I've found and what I've seen in the research that I've done for Embrace the Suck too is, is that uh, resilient people obviously move more quickly out of that bunker of normal human emotion. Why me? Why now? Why this? You know, focusing on things that are wildly out of our control as opposed to uh, resilient people and thinkers who move more quickly towards action-oriented execution. Be sure to check out both Brent Gleason's book, Embrace the Suck, and Mike Hayes' book, Never Enough. We've linked both books to the podcast in the show notes. We've also linked some potential veteran resources if you're looking to partner with veteran organizations to help fill some of your introductory sales roles like SDR or BDR roles. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 